you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. We often talk about this. The world has become very easy because geeks like us have made it that anybody without any knowledge of e-commerce can get up and running. You know what I mean? I've got stuff running on Datadog and on Amazon Web Services and stuff like that. And I didn't have to put together my perfect server setup with security and back, right. you know what I mean? And, and, and monitoring. And and, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so just in the same way that WordPress made everybody a blogger, there's all kinds of tools that make it that people can do this relatively easily. And that's one of the things we can start to review is whatever you did to choose the stuff you use for mind architecture, it could have been that it's still great or that it was great at the time, but now there's new things coming out all the time. And then every year we want to say, is it worth changing to something else? And of course, what all those sites are great at is being sticky, that once they have you, they want you to keep using it, keep adding new features and stuff like that, and not make it easy for you to move your data, your customer base, your <laughs> all that stuff. So we can comment on that. You know what I mean? That things being easy is an early choice that kind of addicts you. And I've always liked where, like I, my comic book collection software has from the start been very clear. Yes, you can always export your data in a standard, a CSV or an Excel type file. You're not trapped using this and then having to think of, wow, I got 30,000 comic books in. What if I had to re-enter all of that because it's proprietary and trapped? And so I, that's one of the things that yeah. just that, that we geeks can talk about is, when you understand data architecture and stuff like that, and whether they're narrowing your possibilities or whether they're still working to keep your business because is the interchangeable things are easy. There's an API, there's whatever else. It's the feature add that is often why they really are going to keep your business. You and, and, I mean? so. and it's so easy. 12, 15 years ago, this is, was my bread and butter. This is what I did. Oh, you have a website or a designer is making you a website, but you want to sell shirts. Hire me. I will help set up the account for the payment, authorize.net, and tie it in so people can click and it goes to the payment, comes back to your website, and marks it off, and you get all the info and they send. I did all that programming. And then WordPress came about and it's like, oh, look, click. Oh, hey, we're done. And exactly. it's nothing. But I did mess around and play the horror lasagna stuff, which we'll be talking about tomorrow night, but it broke the website and I put it in recovery mode and it wasn't, it was showing on the public side, but the admin side was just gone. And I'm like, Oh, oh what the heck? Okay. So the good news was I got to play around and learn a little bit more about WooCommerce and structure of it and plugins and steps to fix it. That's what we always break it. So you can fix it and learn. Exactly. Uh, so exactly. I figured some stuff out. So yay for me. I'm more comfortable with WooCommerce and WordPress now. <laughs> Very good. It's funny. I have two different ISPs that I've used over the course of time, HostM and Green Hosting, and they have different sets of 
hey, if you want to do a content management, if you want to do a storefront type stuff. And when I've gone into them, they're just similar enough. That's, of course, that's a standard function you have to offer for this and this. And they're just different enough that because now, unfortunately, since I've used two of them, I really have to remember where am I at the time and make sure that I'm not using the wrong command structure. Do it, you know what I mean? There's all, it, it, it so much isn't worth going into the deep geekery of it, but I've had to discipline myself. Like you said, if something isn't working, it isn't only a matter of troubleshooting. It's my first thing is, or am I just doing something foolish here that works easy over here? You know what I mean? And I really, one of the reasons that I did it was I really don't want to be only in one place. I want to keep track of what the various different, if they use different FTP things, it's similar enough. You're just moving files, but not if I want to be able to compare between what are the most current of each of those things and only do things that have changed since the last time I did it. And so how is it doing that fingerprinting? And I just to, I've always liked to not say, okay, I know this one computer language on this one system, and now I'm a whiz kid. I've always thought I really need to know multiple databases, multiple operating environments, all of it, multiple coding development environments. You know what I mean? That even if it gets a little bit confusing, it's worth knowing there's multiple ways to do this. And when you're trying to explain, when someone asks you, what do you recommend? I never wanted it to be. That's what I use. It should be familiar with half a dozen different ones. And on balance, depending on your level of expertise or depending on how much you're going to be doing it and what you want to pay, here's the one that I would choose. So I wanted to do the consumer reports thing of test a whole bunch of them with reasonable criteria and then shoot wisely instead of just being, I like, I'm going to recommend the blue one because I like blue. And that, that just always seemed like that's, you're not a consultant or liar or or somebody going, Oh, you should use this one. Why? I saw a meme that said this was the best one. I don't use it. I don't use any of them. That's, but my talk this weekend, and I I love some of this in, in a different way. My old school programmer brain feels a little bit like, ugh. I don't, I'm not getting the work. I'm not doing the programming. It's plugins and clicking. But my moving on with the world brain is that's helping parents and other people understand that this stuff can be done on the side as a extra thing, including work that kids can learn how to do it and do it right away when they're 18. In a weekend, literally, if you start Friday night after work by Sunday evening, If you have a book written, now I know the writing of a book is separate, but if you have a book written, you can sign up and get all the tools to get that book published on multiple websites, tie it into your WordPress website, which you installed, sign up and have t-shirts with your book cover and mugs and have it all running and going by the time you go to work on Monday. Boom. That's a very powerful thing to be able to say is that you have personal experience of it and you know it can be done and et cetera. So it's, boy. I just had this conversation online on a a number of different subjects. And it seems like one of the things that I think geeks do is they investigate enough to be able to make a rational decision based on some kind of criteria that you could say, if I'm going to use a different development environment, what do I care about? I care about the, the quality of the code that's being produced. I care about the ease of, does it have an easy, medium, and hard mode? I don't want something that I can immediately get to coding, but then if I have to do something more complex, there's no path for that. It forces you to stay with logo level, small code blocks and stuff like that. And 
without going into details, it matters to me that I'm able to say to someone else, how did I make that decision? And you know what? Half the world is not like that. <laughs> and I think that's not stubbornness or laziness. I think that it's something inherent in your brain as to whether, how do you make a decision? Do you make it on the basis of, I went to a friend and got a personal recommendation and I decide whether I trust them or not? Not even are they the expert or not, but I just, I don't want to do this. So I go to somebody that has some kind of experience with it. And there's other people that want to learn for themselves. What do these various different things do? And how does it work? And will it work in the future? And all that kind of stuff. And sweeping statement, I think that's one of the big differences between conservatism and liberalism, between like political stances in the world. It came up because we were talking about how I just don't know how you can remain a staunch conservative in a world that has the future is arriving every day. There's always new things. And don't you want to have a mechanism for how do I judge whether that's better or not? Right. It isn't just stay with it no matter what. And it isn't change no matter what. It's knowing there's good and bad ideas being proposed all the time. And how do you differentiate between them? But some part of conservatism is they don't even adopt the scientific method for how to figure that out. <laughs> they don't even think that there's a better way than just to say, and I'll be a jerk for a minute, I have faith. I'm going to go with whatever one book says, or one person says, or my personal gut reaction. No, there has to be a way that you can across all different kinds of people, all different skill levels and understanding levels, still be able to say on balance, this is probably true. And best is not exactly true all the time, but it's a way of getting to either one of those things. And so I just realized, you know, like one of those things where you get a thought and then you go back like through <laughs> the, all those different things into the past where you see this on the bulletin board and this door opens. And it was like, I've had such problems explaining to various different people when we've had to choose a hotel for where we're going to have a gathering. And somebody says, I like this one because I haven't, I've had a nice stay there. That's not good enough. If what you're talking about is having a gathering, you have to say, does it have meeting space? Does it have, what's the room cost? Of course, that's a consideration, but it's not the only consideration. I don't only want to stay in the cheapest hotel because the cheapest hotel can sometimes have nothing else. And how, jackal, how you know clustered I mean? is everything? Do you have to walk here for one and here for another and rooms over here? You exactly. know, and how big are they? Because you get, right. oh, we've got five meeting rooms, but they only hold 20 people each. Yep. When I've done that, when I've had, I did a thing, a goof, I call it the choosinator. You take a list of all the various different things you might care about in a hotel. And then you take about like, how does each of the hotels you're looking at match each of those criteria? What is its room cost? How much meeting space does it have? Does it have lights in the parking lot? Does it have a nice lobby? Does it have a pool? And you weight those things. Not only do you rate them as to how good they are, but you weight them as to how important is it that you have this feature? having exactly the dates that you want matters a lot, but it's not a litmus test. It's not the only way of, I have to have it on the 4th of July, because if somebody offered you half the room rate at another place to have it a week later, there's a lot of people that start going, we really could break with tradition. And there's another word that's important to say, well, that could be bullshit or not. What are, every, hardly anything is a single issue thing that almost everything is complex. It has 10 different things you might want to think about. It has 30. 
But then when you do that, when you weight all those things and how important they are to you, and you rate them all on each of those criteria, and you do a little calculation that says this times this equals this much, and then add all those up, and then you look at the hotel scores, and this hotel scores 50 out of all those criteria, and this hotel scores 80. You don't focus in then on what I really care about room rate is, but look at all the things you're getting that if you don't just care about room rate, but do care about, they have a website. They have the ability to have us send these codes out so that people can get the room rate without everybody having to call all of it, all of it. And having done that, I've had some people that have said, this is the best thing since sliced bread. I can not only, I'm going to use it for hotels. I'm going to use it for when I buy a car. I'm going to use it for when I choose a wife. You know what I mean? I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, what, what is the compatibility template? You know, that kind make of sure thing. your wife likes your car and that will <laughs> exactly. And I've also had people that can't get past nothing matters more to me than they have lights in the parking lot. I got scared once by a bad guy in the parking lot. And nothing matters more than the feeling that when I drive up, I'm safe. And I get how that really is an important factor. But good Lord, it's not the only factor. It's not the only factor for not just you, but for 300 people that might attend the event. And not 300, 10,000. When they're choosing a a hotel for the big science fiction convention, a lot of these examples were what I was doing for Mensa, where we have between 100 and 2,000 people, depending on the event. There's places that when they do CES, in in Vegas, they have 100,000 people attending. And there's, Vegas has, how close are we to the casinos? There's things that vary based on what city you're in and all the guys. So I think that's a difference in mindset that some people do bracketology where they want to say, who's the winner of this decision? And then they make it into the next round. And they do all that until they get to the one instead of, I need a way to be able to judge all those things relatively instead of litmus test, litmus test. I've found it really hard to convince people if they have their mind one way, they just don't like the other way. It doesn't feel good to them. They don't want to do the work of it. And what I try to say is you're kind of like front loading the work where if you've made this decision, then anytime that anybody says, I don't like Marriott, I like Sheraton. It's we took all of those things into, there's nothing that you could name that we didn't take into account. And it is reputation of the company, if that's what you care about. But it's not the only thing that matters. Look at all the things that matter. And sometimes even that just doesn't get any traction. And so when we talk about, is there anything in the world that couldn't be better because of that? There's all kinds of, I don't care about what candy bar I buy while I'm at a rest stop on the road. It's only a matter of easy decision. I feel like a whatchamacallit. I feel like a payday. Or it's like, what do you like on your hot dog? It's ketchup and mustard. You don't apply the scientific method to what's the right condiment. <laughs> but the fact that people in their minds can't flip between the relative importance of things, where it is, like when you're buying a new car that you're going to have for five years and you're going to pay $30,000, it is more important than picking up a paperback book for 10 bucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, sense of proportion is just so weird that you don't think that way. You don't care more about bigger decisions than smaller ones you should (laughs) and the thing that always bothers gets me is someone says i like sheridan stan marriott so then to them the whole rg sucks or the whole event whatever it is the whole thing sucks the whole committee is terrible they're horrible they couldn't do anything they couldn't plan this why because i wanted sheridan okay but look we brought in an elephant and we learned 
You know what I'm saying? It's like, no matter what you do, they're saying everything sucks and you are all terrible. But if you turn around with, okay, what would you do better? And the only answer is, should have been Sheridan. That doesn't help. And what's worse is when you say, then why don't you join the committee and help? Oh, I'm not going to do that. Nothing worse to me than somebody that's just going to bitch and complain, but has never helped plan or do any of it and will not help or plan and do anything. But they're the ones that always bitch the most and the loudest. I'm like, no, no, I'm not talking just men. So I'm not just picking on them. It's, it's no matter the what the event is. Absolutely. And that's a, I, I've had to learn to consider the source. After <laughs> there are some of those people, there's, I just don't listen to them anymore. I, I, of course, politely listen to them, but do I put one iota of energy into making sure that we had three of the four artificial sweeteners, the most well-known ones in the market, so we figured we'd cover 99% of our users, but you're the one that doesn't want pink or yellow or blue, you want green, and you're going to complain about it. And so it's just, I hope you can understand why it couldn't be a consideration for us. We had to choose a certain number. We can't have everything for everyone. Right. And I, like big decisions, like whether you're going to have vegan things available or vegetarian or non-gluten or whatever else it might be, sometimes it's necessary to make sure everybody is covered. And sometimes it's a matter of cost that says we really couldn't make sure that the Pisca vegetarians had their fish needs met. Do you know what I mean? We had right. to draw the line somewhere as to how many things can you keep track of and what is worth it monetarily. And we've had this argument, like, I really need to make sure that I avoid gluten. So you have to make sure that everything is labeled as whether it includes gluten or not. And often what I say is, you know what, if this is a life or death issue for you, I need you to take on the burden of, you know, about food, whether it looks like it has gluten or might have gluten. And I would say, don't take the risk. Don't eat anything that you're worried about in that way. And if anything, so you know you're not going to go hungry, please bring things. We really can't cover every single possibility where it's not gluten is a relatively big one nowadays, but someone has a, an allergy, a seafood allergy. Don't eat the seafood. Don't eat anything that you think might have seafood in right. it. You've got a sauce that you think, like it's labeled lobster sauce. And they're asking me, does it really have any lobster in it? It's I wouldn't take the risk. Please right. don't have a fit right here on the floor because you. I agree. It, people halfway. <laughs> people and I do. My father had to watch his sodium. He wasn't supposed to eat the carb when he it was sugar and stuff. I had to watch that. But when you walk into the restaurant, they don't go. Okay, are you diabetic? Do you have need gluten free? Do you eat fish? Do you only eat dairy? They didn't go through a whole litany of bliss. It's here's our menu. It's up to you. And these events, people are like, I'm low sodium. And you didn't tell me what was low sodium or provide anything. This other person is gluten-free. This other person's allergic to shellfish. This other person's allergic to peanut butter. Okay. Do you, there's so, only so much time anybody can actually take some responsibility. And yeah. I'm, most of the time, events try and accommodate as many people as possible in any way, whether it's wheelchairs, or the parking and walking, or whatever the accommodations are. But again, if we have a thousand people, you get limited to where you can actually go and what you can actually accomplish to make that reasonable. And people just, 
in general, need to take a little bit more responsibility for themselves instead of everything's everyone else's fault and blaming other people. Exactly. We have uh, hospitality is a big thing at our Mensa gatherings, and we have various different people, Virginia, Nancy, that are hospitality stalwarts. They've done this multiple times, and they've now actually started to put out, hey, this isn't just corn chowder. They list the ingredients because they made it. They know exactly what it is. That's very helpful. But then if not everybody has the ability to adopt that, then it's weird. Sometimes it is once you raise the bar, then everybody has to do that or somehow they're falling behind. But not everybody has that ability. Not everybody has, I don't know, It. I can see how it varies. And I hope that people understand that it isn't any difference in Mensa or science fiction or other geeky things as it is in the rest of the world. The thing you were just saying about going to any restaurant. You have to be your own best representative in terms of, I've got to watch for the sodium. I've got to watch for whether there's uh, tree nuts involved in the preparation of this food. And some stores, they really have it like a big sign that says, we can make you no guarantees. There is very much the possibility that everything here has come in contact with gluten, nuts, name the things that some people have very different sensitivities new nowadays. Wow, I guess you kind of can't eat at McDonald's if you're not sure. And, and I don't, actually, I don't think it's McDonald's. It's Subway. Subway has a big sign that says, right. you've seen, they have a working surface that their sandwich artists prepare things, but they can't scrub that surface in between each time to make sure that it's been, you know, all avocado molecules have been removed in case you have an avocado sensitivity. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there's some reasonableness level. If you really are that sensitive, I don't know. I've started to like, I know people that bring along non-salt, that is non-sodium salt, so they can still have a little potassium guy on their food or something like that, and they don't bother anybody about it. They keep it in their purse. When their food arrives, they take it out, shook, shook, shook. They don't announce, hey, this is because I have a problem with salt. It just is. You learn to make those accommodations, right. and I wish more people did, that they were independent, that they really were their own best advocate, their own best concerned person. Not Nobody's trying to submarine them. <laughs> it's right. just, life goes on and they're handling a thousand customers a night. And wow, you need to not set yourself up to fail. Okay, so here's a good, ex- another good example, something separate that does not accommodate everybody. And we talked about this a little bit last week, the haunted houses, because I just went to a really good one. And I'm thinking about that as we're talking and I'm like, yeah, not everybody can go through a haunted house. Sorry. You know, they do not always make them so wheelchairs or people on crutches can go through. They right. do not make them so people that are blind can go through, even though there are many spots where I'm blinded going through. Part you know, of the terror, exactly. Yeah, they don't make it so if you're photosensitive uh, with flashing lights, they have those. So, again, I can understand both sides, but if 400,000 people are good with going through the haunted house like this. And there's five that just can't, I'm sorry, but it's not effective to to change it. And really how much fun would it be if it was all flat one level, all the lights were on, there was no smoke, you know, but on that said, a lot of people like with autism have sensory problems. And I do know some theaters will have sensory showings where they have headphones and they have the volume lower and they keep the lights on just a little bit. And so they try and accommodate that a little more. So 
for everybody that wants to complain that, oh, they're not, there are steps and strides being made and things that are changing. I wish more people were aware of that also. Exactly. I'll tell you, really, of course, it's a big issue. The ADA exists to make sure that people that have some differences in how well they can get around, how well they see, et cetera, that they're not closed out of life. You know what I mean? All right. the things you just said, haunting haunted houses are such a very specific thing is they're designed to throw you off. They had uh, uneven floors. They have tight passageways. And I don't know, I think that they must get an ADA exception because they're not a permanent fixture. They're not an entrance to a building. They right. don't keep you out of getting to the doctor and other important things. It's a very specific entertainment. It's entertainment, yeah. Exactly. But having said that, there's all kinds of places that when they're told you need to put in a ramp as well as stairs so that we can get into your stamina and they'll go like, I don't care about that stuff. That's the government overreach. No, that's just being a decent human being. Exactly. Know that putting in the ramp and the stairs isn't so great in cost that what you should be known as is the guy that doesn't care about Vietnam vets who are in a chair. You know what right. I mean? And things or, or the kid that developed some disease and has a bent spine and soft bones or whatever and can't walk but wants to hang out like normal kids and And, i take that back normal is a bad word to use now too i i apologize that's my 80s head coming out there (laughs) yeah i'll tell you there's everybody like i thought what i learned in high school was how many court decisions were based not only on the letter of the law but on what would a reasonable man say in this gray area and so if someone really doesn't have full capabilities and they're demanding that they be allowed to do something that requires those capabilities and to be absurd, hey, I want to be a trapeze artist. My friend, you have no arms. What, what are we going to do? I'll use my legs. It, everything about trapeze is set up so that you have both. And so we'll see what we can do, but you can't expect in reality to be able to do everything because that's how you are. And so it isn't, people aren't only at one end or the other. There are like some people just, I don't know, salt sensitivity. I don't believe in that. That's not real. What are you talking about? (laughs) It's science. It's, we know people get heart attacks and high blood pressure. And so there's people that have various different stances on this about, they don't want to go one inch out of their way to accommodate differently abled people. There's some people that just decide it doesn't exist. So that's why they don't have to. And there's other people that really will say, I'll give it a try. I want to accommodate this. The law says I have to. I'll put it into my budget. I'll absorb it over time. You know what I mean? I know who I have more respect for is the people that are trying to make it so that everybody's human. All the world deserves relatively equal experience of life. And yet I, so anyway, I just, that's one of those interesting messy things that there's got to be a way to, to, gather numbers that say, it isn't only how do I feel about this, it's that I'm in a community of 10,000 people, and I know that a 1,000 or a 100 or 10 or 1, whatever the orders of magnitude are, this is how many people have a specific thing. They can't handle strobe lights. Am I obligated to never have strobe lights, or am I obligated to put up a sign that says, beware strobe lights, if this affects you, then don't come in, or, or just say... <laughs> I don't care about them. I'm going to have them. And if they they get stunned by it because I didn't warn them, there's all kinds of, and it's funny, we really don't have to figure all this out. 
there's all kinds of legal precedents that say, what is the duty to warn, the duty to accommodate, the duty to like make the world a better place for as many people as possible. And so instead of just saying what you're going to do, you could say, what does the, the world think is the right thing to do here? Warning, <laughs> coffee is hot. Like that. <laughs> I, you know. So anyway, I just, that's another one of those things that I guess this is the geek side of me. I, I'm not inherently a rule follower. I'm not looking to be told what to do, but I don't mind finding out what's worked and what hasn't and what's the cost benefit analysis of things. And this is another part of the discussion that I got into that some of these things are, it really is risk management and cost benefit analysis are what you have to use to decide whether something is worth doing. Not in every case, but in cases where you're going to be dealing with masses of people or something like that. And how do you do that? You gather data. You have to have that decision that says, I'm not just going to take it by anecdote. I'm not going to tell you, tell me how deeply you believe this or not. It's gather data based on multiple people's experiences and then say what works and what doesn't based on that. So how many decisions do you see being made? Risk management consists of, it sure would be awful if this happened. And then they scare people and we don't do it. But risk management is really, what's the chance of that happening? What are the odds? Right. One in 10, one in 100, one in 1,000. What's the cost if it happens? A dam breaking is much worse than, hey, my basement is leaking. Right. So then what am I willing to pay to stop that? It's the odds of this, and this is how much it might be. So you can see, good Lord, the pandemic response was, hey, we could all die. We should be able to think about that and say, probably worth a certain amount of money put into its prevention <laughs> and cures so that we don't all die. And it's not guaranteed that you'll die, but then you find out you can die or you can get permanent sensory loss or whatever else it might be. And every one of those things you kind of put into your big spreadsheet of what's the cost of COVID? What's the chance of getting COVID? And how do I deal with this? I lower the chance of getting it or I lower the overall cost of if I get it, what the effects of it are. And that's how much I'm willing to pay for my vaccination program and my PPE and my, and having said that to me makes perfect sense. And other people are, I don't believe in COVID or I do, or they're the, the government has spent a certain amount of money out of this. Hey, cases have gone down. Let's stop spending money. You got to look at the curve that says, why did those number of cases gone down? Because we spent a certain amount of money. And if we can say that for every $10,000, we save a thousand lives, I don't want to spend a thousand dollars and know that it just cost 900 people their lives. And I, the math is crappy there, but kind of a. It's the same logic my great grandmother had. She had heart palpitations and she couldn't hear. So they gave her medicine for her heart, which smoothed it out so it didn't palpitate. And they gave her hearing aids so she could hear. And she said, oh, I'm cured and quit taking the medicine and threw away the hearing aids. Oh, my God. <laughs> you mentioned something. That's Sorry. The thing, no, the thing in our, that that's, I get exasperated about is all these trigger warnings nowadays and who's deciding what trigger warnings are important and which aren't. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing and I'm not saying we shouldn't have them. That's not what I'm saying at all. I do understand if your school was just involved in a school shooting and there's a movie that comes out the next day that has a school shooting and you didn't know that and you saw it, you, you that, that would set, I can understand your feelings with that. But I think like we do in our society a lot, there are people going way overboard with this. 
oh, my uh, brother-in-law's second cousin died of a drug overdose and that show just had a needle in it. So I'm triggered and now I'm going to sue you. You know what I'm saying? This is where we start in problems. And the other one that gets me is the emotional support dogs. People go and buy a $10,000 little dog, say my emotional support animal, and you've got to let me do whatever I want with it. That's not how it works, but they feel that they can just do whatever. So I'll, I'll tell you, that has been, I don't know, for a long time, the accommodations we make where you really can't gather data, you can't look into someone's head and see how scared they are, or see how bereft they are if they don't have their animal, or how deep their faith is. And so we, th there are some things where we just treat it like we have to allow for this. But then people start taking advantage of that when we make a religious exemption for various different things. And then people start using it for things beyond the original purpose, the original remit that it was designed for. Right. It's if that's how it's being abused, you have to start saying things about, we can't let it just run wild. We have to have certain limits and what are they going to be? And some people don't even want to have that discussion because they think no. it's like denying their faith. No, it's trying to deny the charlatans their ability to take advantage yes. of something that was done as a good accommodation for various different things. But it can't be just like a carte blanche, get out of jail free card. Yes. <laughs> it can't be a magic one that you say, now we do throw sense out the window because that's not how the world is. And what how society can be if we're trying to make it so that society works for everyone. And again, why do some people get to decide what is a trigger for people or not? Because when I was in high school, our high school was very sports oriented. So if you weren't in sports, you were bullied and the football players were horrible. They bullied us a lot. So why can't I get mad at some bar for playing a football game or sue somebody for talking about a football game? It brings back bad memories for yes, you. Yes, exactly. That Why can't that be a trigger? I'm being a little stupid because... I'm an adult and can handle it, unlike some other people. But you know what I'm saying? I've seen so many things nowadays. You can't say, again, you can't call someone the wrong pronoun because it triggers them. And they, it's like, it's just a little yeah. overtaxing. My, my overall take about that is, so I guess there's different viewpoints that are at war there. I know that in the course of my lifetime, there's been any number of studies that say, what's the most important factors to a good life, to success. And one of them is resilience. It's the ability to, no matter what the world throws at you, it's your choice as to how you're going to react to it. So the more that you learn to master your emotions and your reactions and can get through those, life will be spiky. It'll have ups and downs. <laughs> if you want to have a relatively smooth or upwards life, you can't be just this storm-tossed ship that is continually in danger of breaking up on the rocks, you have to make yourself more resilient. Right. And these things about triggers and stuff like that are in opposition to that. Yes. They're saying that that doesn't matter, that what matters is you guys, everyone else, smooth the world out for me because I'm not going to put time into it. it. It's the I'm same thing we said about the... So. Yeah, it's just like the gluten and the slow sodium. Some take a little responsibility. And I agree with the resilience... I say this, and you've heard me in my talk. When my kids had friends over, those friends were afraid to climb trees because they thought they'd get scratched, that they'd fall and get hurt. And the parents are making them afraid. And I'm like, if these kids at nine won't climb a tree, what's going to happen when they're 19 
and they go to a job interview and get told, no, you don't have the job. Go lose it. They can't handle it. We had to set up at colleges safe zones in the last election or two elections ago when the because kids couldn't handle that their candidate didn't win and it, they needed a safe zone. Okay. We've got a problem there. As you, it's not only there's a rejection of reality that you don't like. I've seen the funny thing that says, I, say, I reject your reality and substitute my own. And that's amusing, but that taken to any practical thing is stubborn and ridiculous. Yes. The world is going to teach you what reality is, no matter whether you reject it or not. You know what I mean? There's going to be weather. There's going to be whatever. And the fact that people have decided that they can just say, name the issues of the day. Yes. Global warming is not real. I don't think that election <laughs> went as it did. And that they're like, wow, well, that's insane. That doesn't match. What are the definitions of having a psychotic break, having insanity is that you reject reality. So it isn't like that's an opinion or that's, wow, what a staunch political person you are. It's that's insane. The more that we put time <laughs> into showing you, here's how the election is run. Here's what the results were. Unless you can show us what's not correct about that, you can't just reject it. It's kind of like, uh, and here, this is something that will have no appeal to the rejectors, but it's how it works. What does a Socratic dialogue do? It gets you to say yes to any number of small premises that lead logically and invariably to a large conclusion. Right. And if you don't like a large conclusion, you can't then say, no, that's no. not true. You said all these yeses. It le leads right to it. There's no escaping it. Right. You have to prove what's illogical or wrong about the way that we got here. You can't just reject something because you don't like it. And yet we're seeing that often. Often yes. enough that it's 40% of the electorate and like having to argue not like how, what, what's the quality of voting machines or what's the quality of the candidates that we're voting for, but having to argue about, I believe in elections or not, could there be anything more dangerous in a democratic republic than to say people have cast enough and it isn't those people decided to just say, no, I don't believe in it. There's been a concerted effort to say, here's why you can't trust that. Wow, from what I can tell, the people that have been doing all those charges of voter fraud are the ones that are actually doing it as a smokescreen, as opposed to the ones that had, he had too many. <laughs> Facts are stubborn things, said John Adams. Like, I'm, because I talk about these things on Facebook, and it, some of it comes up here. I, when I get to that kind of discussion, you need to quickly move away from what do you believe? What do you think? You have to tell me, how do you know that? Right. Your facts aren't sufficient to be able to carry the stance that you take, then you really need to like, wow, stop thinking that way. Stop sharing it with others because you're spreading a bad idea. Let's get to the facts and what conclusions those lead to. And there's an overall rejection, like not only of the scientific method, but of facts matter. Wow. As a geek, I just can't, that's not my world at all. I always want to find out more facts. I'm always curious as to how do things really work? Not so I can manipulate them and fool <laughs> other people so that I, I get a better understanding of the world and I feel more connected and I feel my life, my head feels better on the inside because I know things. <laughs> Is there a it, sillier way to explain that? But who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be able to say, I know this is true. Lots of people, it seems. All of these things. 
it's only in Dungeons and Dragons that the facts can change by rolling the dice. So I did changing the subject a little bit. We segued and segued out and segued back in. Hey, imagine that. But the reformatory, I had never been there. And as a haunted house, I was really loving it. I'm picky with haunted houses. I'm not so much, oh, I need to hear loud noises and jump scares. That's not horror. That's that's for the people that like slasher horror movies. The surprise is the only thing that matters to them, not the building dread, not the... Yes. Yeah. So what I like about the reformatory, and I also like about the Akron Laboratory and Schoolhouse, is there's some atmosphere and the rooms have a lot of stuff in them. Each room has a theme and it looks like it was a real room and they put little details here and there. And that's what I love about them. Even if there's nobody like jumping in my face and screaming, I'm enjoying that part of it. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, most of these haunted houses are centered around modern horror, which is dripping blood and dead bodies and stuff like that. Whereas I would love to see a really good Gothic horror feel where it's, it looks like you're in Dracula's castle inside and it's got that rich, luxuriant atmosphere and feel to it. And it's gloomy. I'd love to have a haunted house like that sometimes if there is one. That's, it's kind of funny. I think in order to make a good horror movie, just like a good comedy, you really have to have a good understanding of how people work. Of right. What makes their minds tick. Like, it, is it they only get startled from a jump scare and then, oh, I'm okay. Or is it that there's just, wow, something's not right around here, and I'm getting more and more jump E because of it, but the jump hasn't occurred yet. And that's, or just like, wow, there's things here that I don't recognize. And I thought I've seen most of the world. What the hell is that? Is that alien? Is that devilish? Is that just some madman? When you, I'm, I'm trying to think of what classic movies have that sense of, when you go into a laboratory and there's like tools that aren't used for surgery, what the hell are they used for? Is this a torture chamber? Is this a, they operated on people other than human beings? What's going on? And just the way that your mind will spin off into filling in the gaps with worse things than what they're showing, your mind has an amazing imagination and it'll create the horror for you. Yeah. So, and like, and just that to stay with horror instead of comedy, I really love when you see people that really get I'm sure that there's, again, science behind what's the right amount of time to build up to something, to let something be really adrenaline rush-wise. Yes, yes. And then do you let it subside or you do an immediate another scare? And then because you're already like hypersensitive, then when it happens, it's like almost over. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that people who are making those things, they really must have the John Carpenters of the world, the Tom Savinis, they really know what makes it so that you just get unsettled and then scared to death? And then anyway, I, I, I think more people need to understand that running a haunted house. And again, I don't run one. I'm just saying, because a lot of times what it seems they think it needs is let's play loud rock and roll and let's make every noise loud and just constant and all the time. And that's less scary. The reformatory separated us so it wasn't just groups of people because that's less scary so it was just me and vicky and there's no one else behind us like where'd everybody go and we went through this one cloth thing 
and it's a long dark hallway and there's some cells next to you you see nothing down there except an exit sign that looks like it's a mile away and oh, it's dead man. silent okay. let me tell you that was way more scary than the pounding noises and all the sorts of stuff yeah, the only yeah. thing they did in that hallway was i'm walking slowly and of course i've got someone like hanging on me cowering right, right. and suddenly there was a <laughs> flash of light that was like a flame and there was a hand right in front of my face and i jumped <laughs> back and i'm like whoa and then i'm like let's get to the exit let's go and that was way better than the ones i've been to where you got three people jumping out every room just jumping out rah, 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 rah. It went, <laughs> and that's what i said what most haunt and this is anybody that runs a haunted house the biggest thing i see that haunted houses miss is the sound because if there's always noise and if i can hear the noise in the next room and know what's coming i'm not scared but if you get that noise right in the laboratory if i remember i had some good spots where they had big maze-like room with fog and some flashing lights yeah and i think they had multiple girls all dressed alike about the same height so you're walking you'd see the body over there and then you'd hear like speakers i'm assuming whispering throughout the room just bouncing around and then the lights go and she disappears and you're walking and then suddenly she's behind you and then she's over there never (laughs) once jumped out and screamed never once did I see blood? And right. it was just the whispery sound all around me. So I would, I think a great experience for a haunted house would be with some headphones on and you have a little Walkman that's triggered with Bluetooth. So when you walk somewhere, you can get those sounds yeah. uh, in your ears. I think that would be a great experience, honestly. Honestly, they should do that. I know that they would mimic. I've played my share of first person shooters over the course of time. And I've always loved dungeon crawl type adventures. You know yeah, what I mean? You're, you're yeah. going around and you're going to break open a door or pick the lock, or you're going to go around a corner and what's there. And I'm pretty sure it was the boys from Bungie that were the first ones that did this, that as you go through, it isn't just what you're seeing. You start to be aware of, wow, there's like scritching noises. Is something behind that door? Is something around the corner? I think I hear breathing or I hear <laughs> sound coming towards me. And then I hear it recede away. So you think it heard me coming and it's scared of me. So it went away or did it just go around the next bend and it's waiting. With yeah. big breath. And that my becoming aware of all those little, they were very effective clues. And it wasn't, there was another one, maybe it's Silent Hill where it really they- I was going to say that. Oral landscaping where it's like, you hear things off in the distance and then you'll hear something much closer than you thought it was. It's like, how did I lose track of this thing is right? I love that where they do that soundscaping that is so effective because yeah. it is in your eyes that you use. You know what I mean? Silent Hill. No vision, then it'd be you know what I mean. Yeah. Be the- Silent you know. Hill is one of my all-time favorite series. In fact, I'm playing one of them again right now. And okay. yes, I like to play that one in the dark with headphones on because they do things with the sound and they do it well. And another one back in the day that I liked was heretic which was built off the doom engine okay. uh, i would play that and they had noises in there that freaked me out as okay i'm home alone and it's dark and i'm turning on lights and i'm not playing this game anymore right now that was way scarier than even doom with all the demons coming at you and stuff exactly that- <laughs> and if you're interested alan just because i looked around 
there are some haunted houses for sale throughout the U.S. And there's a company that is focused on helping you start a haunted house and they resell properties. And I'm like, now, okay, I understand if a haunted house is for sale and it has a permanent structure that there's a good chance maybe it didn't do well. Sometimes people just move on or whatever. Right. And I do honestly believe most haunted houses can, sorry, can be successful with the right amount of work and marketing and things like that. But yeah. if there's a couple listed on this one website, haunted houses for sale, they were, they have, and they have equipment still coming with it. Guess the price range of what they were going for. Wow. Quarter million. Quarter million. I was thinking 500, 750,000 for a nice haunted house. With right. It's ramshackle old besides using it for a haunted house. What would you do with it? Yeah. You know, it's once a year that. type thing. Okay. Uh-oh. 100,000. See that? That's because doable. That's doable. Exactly. And the problem is, of course, you've got an intense month that you're making all your money. Yes. You've got a six months worth of work to get it ready to do that. You know what I mean? So it really is a full-time thing that you're taking a huge risk, just like any yes. big seasonal thing. It has to make all of its money back from a whole year of work. almost. Right. Yeah. And yet, but when I was, and I know not all of them are like the reformatory and as big, right. but I'm calculating this and I'm like, okay, here's how much tickets cost. And every half hour, approximately this many people, I'm like, man, these guys are clearing over $50,000 a night on the weekends. A night. So That's 150. 1.5 million in a good 30 day month. Exactly. Yes. Wow. Okay. And I was like, and that's not the first time when they used to, when the zombie thing with Walking Dead was big and they had the zombie hunts that were big. Okay. Me right. and my cousin were sitting there eating a hot dog, drinking tea. And I'm like, okay, these tractors are going off every 10 minutes. There's whatever, 25 people per tractor. It costs this much for a ticket and then extra bullets are this much. And I'm like, so they're getting this many through. I'm like, <laughs> these guys are clearing like 25,000 a night. And it's a farm with all the equipment they already had. With some guys in costumes. Exactly. Yeah, that. All they yeah. did was buy the paintball gun. So right. Right. I can't believe that for the most part, haunted houses aren't money makers. And the reformatory, always, what, what else can we do with this? It doesn't want to sit all year. They're doing right. a Christmas haunted house. <laughs> and I've been talking about the, old tradition of telling haunted ghost stories on christmas eve now okay. there's a haunted house to go to i'm like i love this this is great it's funny for as much as christmas has intruded into the earlier part of the year it's funny to have halloween lash back and intrude on christmas if little, you will. yeah i've been as you cedar point the best amusement park in the world near us has had halloween for a long time used to be at those places shut down as of labor day because it was a summertime activity and people weren't going to go and ride a water ride when they're going to be then doused with water and 30 it's degrees. 40 degrees up, 30 <laughs> degrees up. But they, I've been to there a couple of times. I'm really, I'm not amazed, but I'm impressed by, wow, this place that in my mind, I think of it as cotton candy and happy fun and all lights when they do it up for the evenings and they decorate it correctly, light it correctly. It can really be terrifying, even with the lights of rides going on and stuff like that. There's sections of the park, a little fog machine going, have people that know how to not jump scare you, but how to put a hand in front of your face and all that stuff. I've been really impressed. I'm out here as you know, San Diego. I just heard they're doing that at SeaWorld. And oh, so, so is it like tentacles? 
what are they what are they doing for all the is it like the coming out of the water dutchman the old ghost ship and stuff like that i only heard about it i did not see advertisements but so i'm not sure how they're doing it and also california is all wide open spaces and i'm just trying to think how could they make that scary and yet they know how to make it so that there's and it was like a different name instead of hello weekends it was scream hollow or something like that but I like the fact that they're finding that people are bright and that they experiment and say, oh, we could get another two months worth of money if our usual attendance is a huge drop off after Labor Day. But we found a way to yeah. make it so that six weeks leading up to Halloween, maybe even the week after, we can just have the park, not a trickle of attendance, but pounding with attendance because Halloween is a great holidays yeah. and and the zoo does boo yeah. at the zoo which mm-hmm. i took the kids to and yeah. things like that like the drive-in that we have down here they're staying open into november and they show like triple feature horror movies at halloween the classics <laughs> and stuff it's perfect and then as they get into november they start showing some of the classic christmas movies and i we were talking tradition in that for the longest time, oh, it's Labor Day, the drive-in's going to go away, or right. A&W's going to go away. Now the local A&W is open all year round, except like February and a little bit of March, and okay. the drive through stays open through November, and they show Halloween and Christmas movies and stuff. Yeah. So sometimes we have to question and break. <laughs> exactly. So it, it, I'll segue, like I mentioned, I so I'm out in California, I'm visiting my mom. I'm not staying in our house because the house is being renovated to get ready to sell it. So I'm in an extended stay America. So here's a, uh, and, and I don't want to be subjected to whatever they happen to have on their television because I've discovered I really can't watch things with tons of commercials in them, especially I'm trying to watch a scary movie. And if they're breaking away every 15 minutes to give me three minutes of commercials, it totally loses the momentum, yes. the effect of the scary movie. So I'm learning to be self defensive. I wanted to bring my Roku, but I I have an older one and I don't have the right power source. So I got a Chromecast, just plug it into HDMI and make sure that it's on the same network as your laptop is. And if you go into Chrome, whatever you're showing on your screen, you can show on your TV screen. How wonderful. Yeah. Not because I'm in an extended stay America where instead of just what's the Wi-Fi and putting in like a name and password, they have a, they go to a different thing where it's like, hey, give us your first and last name and your room number to make sure that you're a guest here. Easily done on my phone or my laptop, not easily done on the Chromecast, which doesn't have the facility to bring up the subsidiary website that lets you fill those things in. in So I've got a dongle that's dead and I wasn't Uh able to do that. And it was like, okay, I'm going to, whatever I have watched this last week has been on my laptop because though I want to watch it on the bigger screen, I still didn't want to miss the next House of the Dragons the next I have my habits that I really want to keep up with. And yet it was, wow, same thing. I know a lot about technology and yet I can't get past this. How interesting that there are still, I didn't know any places did that. Wi-Fi is such a ubiquitous commodity nowadays that I thought everybody had just gotten rid of trying to make you pay for it or trying to, unless you're really a captive audience, like on an airplane or something like that. But otherwise it's like, why do you think that I care that I'm logged into you? Where if I go and look at my available Wi-Fi things, there's one for the health center over there, and there's one for another hotel right across the parking lot there. I please change your stance, America world, where <laughs> well, you just you can't think that it's a scarce resource anymore. There's Wi-Fi everywhere, and anything you put in the way of that 
is like meanly spirited, not yeah. public spirited. Well, you most hotels I mean? still do have that <clears throat> sign in. And I know I had an older tablet that it didn't have whatever functionality to trigger to open a browser to finish the sign in. So well, it would connect, but you'd never get internet on it because it would never. And I did, I, I actually figured it out. I had to go to 127.0.0.1, maybe something like that. And, okay. and it triggered the home server to send me the right page. And then I was able to do it. But I hadn't thought about that. If there's a way that I could have interacted with the Chromecast to force it to go to that launch page, I didn't even think about as that. long okay. as it has a browser ability, which I would assume yeah. Chromecast does. And see, I'm not sure. I think that I've seen Chromecast bring up onto the screen the thing like, hey, we sent you a code that'll cause the matching, the uh, pairing. You right. know what I mean? But it, I, I, I haven't, I should plug it into my laptop and see what I can do to manipulate it. Then I'll know what I can do with a relatively dumb <laughs> smart TV and a dumb Wi-Fi setup. I, I didn't put enough time into doing a workaround. I was just like, really? Yeah, you could always turn your phone into a hotspot and stream through that too. And it's, and actually that the watching things on my phone is even more painful than watching them on my laptop. You know what well, I mean? I, but if it's a hotspot and you connect to it, then you're on the same mobile network and you can use your Chromecast. And I guess that's true. But unfortunately, the Chromecast goes into an HDMI port. And so could I have had the phone talk to the TV? Because it, <laughs> it still wouldn't. The Chromecast wouldn't have been on the same network unless I could force it. I'll have to see. I'll have to see because I don't think I have the new M2 laptop. And the final geek volley of today is going to be, I hate it when they just say, there's bigger, better, faster, stronger ports. And so we're going to put them on there. But then all those peripherals that I bought so that my previous laptop could attach to everything, now they don't work. So now going into Halloween and knowing that I have, I need to make sure that I have the right adapter so that I can get out video wise, the HDMI on their projector, et cetera, et cetera. I might have to retreat back to my old laptop to be able to do my program because I hope that I can find the right adapter and that it can get to me in Chicago in time in often estates, I have to think of where I can send it. Do right. I send it to the hotel? Because I'm only going to be home a day in between now, get everything done Wednesday, and then getting on the road to Halloween. Oh, I mean, <laughs> If nothing else, you've got more adapters and cords to add to your collection for thinking exactly. through at some point. <laughs> and I really need to start like labeling them because once you start to have four different lookalike dongles for video, Okay, I can check the port, but I really want to just pull the one I need instead of having to see is this USB C versus USB two versus oh. So. If you roll them all up and label them, I think you're going to lose a little bit of nerd tech cred there. I, I guess that's true. You have to think through it. That's like the the passage. Right. That's what I have to start doing. Is just like which one do you need? I need the green one. I made it green because green's my favorite. Oh, no, 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 no. Green triggers me, so you got to use something else. I guess I, I, everybody would say, Alan, orange is your favorite. We yes. all know orange is your favorite, so we know you're lying now. We need to redo our logo with orange. That's what we need to do. Before we start selling merchandise, we might want to have alternate versions and stuff like that so that we have the whole Roy G. Biv rainbow yes. of possible shirt colors. And That's stuff an like awesome that. idea. And any really other cool. ideas you have, let's start banding them and getting some logo pictures and start creating them all. I'll make sure you get all the logins and stuff too. So we can both go through everything. Exactly. So. I'll tell you, I just, another quick shout out. I went to 
six DS, six dollar T-shirts, I think. Right. Six DS is not quite that, but it's something like that. And it they've got so many great nerd shirts. They've got things with the periodic chart, and they've got all the little. Yeah. Here's the last unicorn is on Pluto because they belong together. And I just I'm just amused by people are really bright, and for six bucks, I'll wear the funny thing that me to everyone reading it as that guy really neat. that guy <laughs> you could do like they do with the flags above the white house uh ah. you know how they run them up and then pull them down and you can get a flag that flew over the white house for all of 3.2 seconds you put on a t-shirt and then take it off and we can sell alan wore this t-shirt <laughs> oh, God, really me and elton john with all of our we're going to make a fortune because of oh yeah it has a little bit of al musk in it <laughs> remember when colin Met, forgive me, I forget his name off the top of my head, but one of the really big crypto guy, cryptid guys, he has a museum over in Maine. I'll remember his name later, but he gave, he like took his hat off and gave it to Colin and Colin goes, oh, I have some of his hair. We can clone him. Right. <laughs> exactly. Not only will I never wash this, we can clone him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all, I'm like, that's my son. That's very good. Right, so pleasure. Sorry for a little bit of delay this morning, but no, I, you know, having three hour difference and trying to maintain Midwest time or East Coast time while I'm on the West Coast, it's really played havoc with my circadian rhythm. I and bet. So, yeah, I uh, wasn't sure where which state you were in right now, besides state of denial. No, exactly. And funny, I had an alarm set and everything, but that's that devilish snooze button. Sometimes you hit like the not the snooze, but the stop, and then you are startled awake with, oh, Jesus. So I'm glad we were still able to make this happen. Yep, me too, okay. man. All right, see, see you, you in a couple days. Okay, you bet. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, relentlessgeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.